<clears throat> Good morning, church. How are we? So my name is Ben. I get to fill in one of the Sundays here while our pastor is on sabbatical, and I could not be more excited about this series to go love your neighbor. I want to share a story with you as we begin. Spice Pond Baptist Church is not a place you should ever knew existed. This church has no website, no full-time preacher, and the average Sunday morning attendance would be less than many of our on-campus life groups. However, it was at this church one Sunday that I gave my life to Christ in Miss Lenny's Sunday school class. Now, what I need you to know is that my family wasn't raised in church. In fact, we, we didn't go at Christmas, we didn't go at Easter, we didn't go. I would, say that, uh, we, uh, I would say that our family wasn't against religion, but it certainly wasn't a priority. I began going to this church in high school because of a girl. The rule was that if I went to church with them, they would come pick me up and I would get to spend all day with her. Now students and parents, I need you to both know that I do not recommend this method of evangelism, <laughs> but it is what happened to me. And so one day after several months of being a part of the church, there were only three of us in Miss Lenny's class. It was me, my girlfriend, and Miss Lenny. And instead of going through the normal quarterly lesson, she put me on a spot with a question that said something like this. She said, Ben, I have never heard you talk about your faith in Jesus. Do you have a personal relationship with him? Now, what Miss Lenny didn't know was that I had been struggling with that question for weeks. I was 15 years old. 75% of my body makeup at that point was hair gel, carpenter jeans, and Tommy Hilfiger cologne. <laughs> I did not know how to process my feelings or understand my emotions. And so when she asked me this question, I remember responding, no, but I want to, I just don't know how. I don't know what to do. And so she said, would you like me to show you? And for the rest of that hour, we looked through scripture and she told me about the gospel, how Christ came to this earth, he lived a perfect life, he died for my sins, and that if I would repent, believe, and follow him, I could be a part of his kingdom. And that morning, in that class, I surrendered my life to Jesus. Now, why do I tell you this story? Number one, because you do not understand the level of your faithfulness. This church and this conversation happened in the year 2000. And that did not feel, feel nearly as old as it actually was until I said it out loud. <laughs> but the faithfulness of men and women from that church to have conversations with me about faith, to grow me in my walk with Christ, now get to affect people today in McKinney, Texas. And so you have no idea what would happen 
if you are just willing to step into the life and the world of someone else, and I am so grateful for Miss Lenny talking to me that morning, if she never taught another Sunday school class again, her entire life, as far as I'm concerned, would be worth it because of that moment. This morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where there was a one-on-one encounter, and because of that encounter, the gospel is ultimately spread. And I'm going to challenge you, because of what we see today, to step into, li- into the life of your neighbor this week. So, are you ready? Let's do this. If you have a Bible, open up to the book of Acts. Um, Acts chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible in the pew pocket in front of you, there's one. You could just grab it and take it. Acts is one of my favorite books, and the reason it is one of my favorite is because it is filled with God's people trying to figure out how to live in light of the resurrection. They don't have all of the answers. They don't exactly know everything they're supposed to be doing. But yet, we see the Holy Spirit of God working in their life and the days, months, and years following Jesus' ascension. And we can take heart this morning that the same Holy Spirit that that guided them guides us today. And before we dive into our text, I want to give you a premise that is going to frame everything else that we're going to talk about. And it's this. God's mission for the church always includes taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. The last recorded words of Jesus we have in Acts 1, if you remember, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And to what end? To be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. A couple of weeks ago, we as a church decided to move forward with this project that we call Multiply. And if you remember, we said the way that we feel God is telling us to be a part of his mission is we want to multiply spaces for the next generation. We want to multiply relationships and we want to ultimately multiply churches. This series, To Go Love Your Neighbor, is our attempt to multiply relationships. It is not just a cute saying. It's about living on mission and recognizing that both you and I have a part to play in this process. And with God's help, First McKinney will also be a part of multiplying churches. There are at least nine instances in Acts, where it mentions being filled with the Holy Spirit. And in every one of those instances, whether it's Acts 2 or 4 or 6 or 9 or 11, there is a connection between living a Holy Spirit-filled life and spreading the gospel. When you read Acts, one cannot divorce the idea of being filled with the Spirit and sharing the gospel. Therefore, if we want to experience the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, if we are going to love our neighbor, our lives must proclaim the gospel. Look with me, Acts 8, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, 
go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you were reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him about the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And they came up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, one of the hardest parts of any message is learning what to keep and what to cut. And so there are so many things happening, and I want to focus on a couple of things from this passage this morning. And so first, a little context. The event that happens in Acts 8 takes place following the death of Stephen, which is the first Christian martyr. So we find um, in, in Acts, the previous chapter, we see Stephen preaching the gospel. He is ultimately killed for his faith. And then we see the Jewish Christians scattering from Jerusalem. And so literally the gospel begins to move geographically in the way that Jesus said it would. And so I want to quickly define the main characters that we see here. We see Philip and we see an unnamed Ethiopian eunuch. Now, Philip seems to be a pretty popular name in the New Testament. There are at least four different Philips mentioned in the Bible. The most popular is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And most scholars believe that the Philip mentioned here is actually one of the first seven deacons chosen in Acts 6 to help with the distribution of the poor. And because of his work, he would ultimately be nicknamed Philip the, the Evangelist. Now, our eunuch, the passage tells us he's from Ethiopia. Another term in scripture that refers to this same area is Cush. The reason that matters is that it's not quite the exact area of Ethiopia that we see today. Think more Sudan, more Upper Egypt. And we know that Jews were exiled to that area. If you remember back in the summer, we went through the book of Daniel. And because of the Babylonian conquest, the Jews would ultimately be scattered and exiled. Zephaniah 3.10 tells us, from beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughters of the dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. The eunuch was employed by Candace, which is not actually a name, but a, a title. If you think Pharaoh is the title of the king of Egypt, Candace would have been the queen of Ethiopia. And truthfully, it's actually probably more pronounced Kandake, but that sounded weird when I said it out loud. The eunuch was in charge of the queen's money, and we will see in a little while that he had a lot of it. 
Most scholars would say that this man was a proselyte, meaning at some point he converted to being a Jew. So I want to spend some time this morning looking at this experience from Philip's point of view. When we think about taking the gospel to others, we will often find ourselves feeling like Philip in this scenario. Therefore, there are several observations that we see in this text that can help us go love our neighbor. So the first one is this. Philip was in position to be used for God's mission. Look back at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. If we were to just take this story out of context and not look at the rest of the chapter, we would miss so much about what's happening here. Without knowing any of the previous 25 verses, one could make the mistake that Philip is just sort of sitting around waiting for God to use him. Hey God, here I am, use me if you want. And that's actually not the case. Philip was already on mission and had a deep desire to see the gospel spread. Consider this fact. Philip was one of the first and possibly the first to preach a crucified Christ outside of the city of Jerusalem. So we are on the front line of seeing the gospel spread. And the text says that Philip was in Samaria when he was doing it. When the angel called him, If you read the chapter, it says that Philip was responsible for spreading the gospel to large crowds in Samaria, where not only were people coming to faith, but miracles were being performed in the presence of his teaching. This was a spiritual awakening happening, and Philip got to be a part of that. A A few weeks ago, our pastor preached on the Good Samaritan, and if you remember, That phrase is almost like an oxymoron because the Jews and the Samaritans despised one another. The average Jewish person would not call the average Samaritan good. And what's so fascinating to me about what we see in Philip's life before the angel calls him is that he is not only welcoming people different than him into the church, but we see him actively pursuing people and bringing them into the church, people that other people would say were not good. He had a deep desire to see the gospel spread, to see outsiders become insiders. And so as we kind of mull through this passage, my question for you is, what about you? If you want to be in position to be used for God's mission, I believe it begins with you having a desire to see the gospel spread. If we, we want you to go love your neighbor because you are the one that is closest to someone and you are the one with the words of eternal life. Some of you are now in a better position to love your neighbor because for the last several weeks, you've been prayer walking your neighborhood. You've been identifying even the folks that live around you and begin taking steps to build new relationships. And so let me make a couple of distinctions that I see in this text before we move on. First, if you see, what did the angel tell Philip? Rise and go to the south. The road from Jerusalem to Gaza was 50 miles long. Hey God, 
Any chance you can tell me what mile marker you want me to be at? Sometimes, when it comes to being used for God's mission, God sends you in a general direction before giving you a specific destination. Maybe God's point wasn't to give you a really good deal in that house. Maybe he was, it was to put you around people that need to hear about Jesus. And here's another thing. God called Philip away from the most fruitful ministry he had ever been a part of. He took him away from the crowd to have a one-on-one -on -one encounter. Now, yes, we can look to the life of Jesus and point to several times where Jesus taught large crowds of people and amazing things happen. But do not neglect the one-on-one -on -one conversations and the ramifications it can have in the kingdom of God. The next thing we see in our text is that Philip was prompted to join the eunuch's chariot. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. The only reason this happened is because Philip was already on the road. Sometimes God calls us, and in answering that call, he tells us exactly what to do. Sometimes when we join God on mission, what is asked of us can make us feel uncomfortable, and if we were honest, it just seems kind of weird. I challenge you today, go get in someone else's car on your way home from church and say, God told me to join you. <laughs> Not many of us think that would work out well. My buddy Darren and his wife Carrie uh, help lead in a life group that I get to be a part of. And so Darren and his wife recently moved into a new house, has a new neighborhood. So new houses and new neighborhoods have new trees. And so here's a picture of one. And so uh, one day over the summer, Darren noticed that his tree was looking a little funky. We have another picture. It looks like it was bleeding. And so if you know anything about Darren, he's going to do the research. And he quickly determined that one of the things that he needed to do to heal his sick tree was he needed to wrap it. And so this is what he did. Now, why do I tell you this? Well, because Darren teaches in our class and he wants to actually have integrity. And if he's telling our people to go love their neighbor, he wants to be a part of that. And because they live in a new neighborhood where everyone is new, he and his wife have been walking their neighborhood to meet people. And wouldn't you, have, wouldn't you know, one day he's walking in his neighborhood and his neighbor has a tree in his yard and that tree is bleeding. And so now, again, if you know Darren, he doesn't necessarily like being the guy that jumps immediately into conversation with someone. He will. But he likes kind of being the guy that stands in the back. He doesn't like being confrontational. And so now he had a dilemma because he knew this, we were starting this series, and so he had to have a conversation with his neighbor. He felt the Holy Spirit saying, I need to go talk to my neighbor about his tree, but yet my spirit says, I don't want to do anything. And so he stood in the driveway of his neighbor's house, 180 degrees, wrestling with God. Do I go do this? Do I not do this? Do I go do this? I imagine it looked pretty funny. Ultimately, he gives in to the Lord's request. He knocks on his neighbor's door. Hey, my name's Darren. Something's wrong with your tree. This is how you fix it. And his neighbor brings him into his house and they have a 30 minute conversation about 
trees. Now, what impact for the kingdom of God do you see in that story? Most people would say not much. But yet, this is the exact type of moment I want to challenge you as a church to step into. When Philip happened upon this chariot, he had no idea what would happen. But he was willing to do it. And what we see next is that Philip was prepared to step into a spiritual conversation. In verse 30, it says, So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Once Philip's in the chariot, they look at the passage, Isaiah 53. And then the next verse says that the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Himself or someone else? Remember, Philip wasn't anything special. He was a deacon. He was charged to help distribute things to the poor so the other disciples could continue to pray and preach. And so while Philip wasn't special, he was faithful. And he made the most of the opportunities he had. And to go love your neighbor means you may have to step into a spiritual conversation. And in this morning, our life group curriculum, we just looked at how do we move the conversation forward with someone that we feel God's calling us to be a part of. And so when you think about being prepared to have a spiritual conversation, I want to give you three ways to hopefully you can be better prepared and equipped to take that step when the opportunity arises. And the first is this. Number one, make a commitment to prayer and Bible study. And I know what some of you may be thinking. Is just having a quiet time going to help prepare me to have a spiritual conversation? And the answer is yes. One of the reasons Philip was able to explain Isaiah 53 and point it to Jesus is because he had knowledge of Isaiah 53. As a believer, we want you to have the knowledge of what we find in scriptures because we believe it is life-changing. And one of the easiest ways you can prepare yourself is that you can follow along with our church's Bible reading plan. We have dedicated this entire year to walking through the Bible, to the big mountaintop moments of Scripture of how it all points to God's redemptive goodness and how it all points to Jesus. And one of the simplest things you can do is just being a part of that reading plan. The second thing, consider extra training. When we launched this Go Love Your Neighbor series, we launched it in conjunction with a Wednesday night training that we called, very simply, Made to Multiply. It is a seven-week training that is sort of like an intensive of all of the stuff that we're covering with our, our Go Love Your Neighbor series. And what I mean is, is it teaches you exactly how you can engage your neighbor with prayer. It teaches you how to move from a, a, a spiritual conversation to a gospel conversation. It gives you reproducible tools to share the gospel so that you can feel equipped when the opportunity arrives you can step into it. And if it's something you want to be a part of, we're going to launch it again in October and give you another chance to be a part of that. The third thing I want you to see to be prepared and equipped is that when you find yourself in the conversation with someone, always ask questions. One of my biggest pet peeves is someone that 
doesn't ask questions because I feel like you don't honestly care about me. In this exchange, Philip initiated conversation with a simple question. He says, do you understand what you're reading? He didn't try a sales pitch. It wasn't some sort of bait and switch. There was no Jesus juke. He asked an honest and genuine question based off what he observed happening in the man's life. And then he allowed the eunuch's questions back to him to dictate where the conversation went. The last thing we see in the text is Philip was able to present the gospel. And I have to be very honest, this is the hardest one for me. Look at verse 35. He says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. At some point, we have to be willing to turn the conversation about Jesus. We have to be willing to share about the hope that is in us. And admittedly, as a professional minister, that can be hard for me. My wife is a pretty incredible person. In fact, if you get to know her, you'll find out that she is way cooler than me. And she is unafraid to push the envelope. Several years ago, her father's health began to decline. And before things got too bad, she told me, she said, I need to fly home and I need to talk to my dad because I've never heard a story about him coming to faith and I need to know that he's gonna be with Jesus. I said, absolutely, go home. So they're eating sausage biscuits from a gas station, sitting in a booth at a quasi gas station slash restaurant. Weird things in Mississippi. And so she's sitting there eating and she said, it was a very tense moment and she said, daddy, I just gotta know, um, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And so a tense moment turned very good because her dad began to share with her about how actually, yes, he, he, had a, he accepted Jesus at a younger age. And in fact, growing up as a family, they went to church quite a bit, but because life happens and trauma happens and, and family has issues, they got out of church, but she wanted, he wanted her to know that she didn't need to worry because he knew Jesus, it meant a whole lot to him. And so in that moment, my wife was relieved but then she asked a question I think only a daughter can ask their dad because she looked at him and said, but daddy, if that meant so much to you, why didn't you ever tell me? And why am I finding out now as an adult? You talk about a gut punch. And this may be hard to hear, but here goes. God wants you to share the gospel. Not someone else, you. And he has placed people in your life. He has equipped you with the knowledge to be able to do that. But I don't wanna end this message looking at it from the standpoint of what God wants from you but instead of what God can do through you. We've looked at this from the standpoint of Philip, 
But what about the eunuch? You see, the story ends with him being baptized. And he goes away rejoicing, and Philip ends up in Caesarea. Uh, Philip goes on to have countless more conversations just like this. So to him, it may not have been a big deal. But this was a huge, momentous occasion for the eunuch. Yes, when anyone comes to know Jesus, it is a huge deal. But I think it's even more for him. And let's try to understand it from his perspective. The first thing that we see in this passage, this man had money, and he had a lot of it. This story says that he had a chariot. He had the means, he had the time, and he had the ability to travel to Jerusalem. The distance between Ethiopia and Jerusalem was approximately 1,500 miles. And it would have taken weeks. And some scholars believe that he would have had to have traveled by boat at some point. Also, where in the Bible do you ever find someone with their own copy of Scripture? Scholars believe it would have taken over a year to write this Isaiah scroll, and it's not like you can just pick one up on the corner somewhere. The man had a desire, and he had money, but the money didn't satisfy. But looking deeper, we can make the case that the Ethiopian eunuch was at his lowest point in his life when Philip found him. Verse 28 says the eunuch was returning from worship when Philip found him reading Isaiah 53. This eunuch did not have a normal story. Because he was a eunuch, there's no bloodline. There's no lineage where his name would live on. In fact, he looked different than everyone else. His role in life was different than everyone else. And because of the eunuch, because he was a eunuch, and because of his culture, he would have never been allowed to enter the temple to worship. Can you imagine driving from New York City to McKinney, Texas, just to get to the parking lot to hear a little bit of the worship from what's going on inside, but never getting to step foot in. And so this is the sort of man that we find returning from Jerusalem when Philip meets him. And not only that, he's reading a passage about a suffering servant, humiliated, denied justice. And I wonder, is this what he felt like? And not only that, but someone was willing to step into his life and tell him that this was Jesus that, knew, that knows what he's going through, that this was Jesus who died on his behalf. And because of Jesus' resurrection, there is now no separation between him and the Father. Of course he wanted to be baptized right then. One of the things that we say when we take you out of the water is that you have been raised to walk in newness of life because when you are baptized and you make a public profession, you receive the righteousness of Christ on you. That is literally the symbolic picture that we see in baptism. When you have the righteousness of Christ, you've been made whole. You've been made complete in God's eyes. Church, this is the first time this man has ever felt complete. And it was because someone shared the gospel with him. You have no idea what can happen when you step into the life of someone else and have a simple conversation. But I wonder what it was like for the eunuch when he got back into the chariot. What was it like when he came back out of the waters? You have to think he kept reading his scroll. But this time he saw it in a new perspective. 
He saw Isaiah in light of Jesus being his Messiah. He saw Isaiah in light of him being part of God's family. And you want to see something cool? About 40 verses later, so if you figure if he just kept reading that scroll, you find Isaiah 56. Now think about this man who came out of the water, who's back in the chariot, who now feels complete because of what Jesus has done for him. Isaiah 56, beginning in verse 3, it says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Because Philip was willing to step into this man's life and share Jesus. It spoke to the heart of his insecurities. You do not know what that person is walking through when you step into their world. According to Lifeway Research, Ethiopia historically was the second country to ever proclaim Christianity as a state religion. And it happened in 333 AD. Church fathers as early as Irenaeus in 180 AD point specifically to this eunuch as being one of the first missionaries in Africa. And because of his work of what he did with Jesus when he came back to his homeland, we see the gospel spreading exponentially. Why? Because God's mission for the church always includes taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And then now, in September of 2023, in McKinney, Texas, God has brought the ends of the earth to us. Census data from 2020 says that over 16% of all people living in McKinney were not born in the United States. And that doesn't count Anna, or Melissa, or Frisco. It doesn't count any of the other transplants that we see coming in from all over the country. God has brought the ends of the earth to us. And I told you at the start, we want to challenge you to step into a conversation. And we hopefully want to make it as easy as possible. We want to equip you and resource you. Sometimes a gift can be a pretty simple yet powerful gesture. And so our missions team has actually prepared uh, neighbor boxes. And what I mean by that is we have different types of boxes that you can give as gifts to your neighbors that have a variety of different types of gifts in them. In fact, if you want to know more information about that and actually register to get one, you can text the word box to 96123 and you'll see all the options of things and you can reserve one. We'll make it. You can pick it up. And if nothing else, it'll give you a reason to step into the life of one of your neighbors. It has never been easier to impact the world than by crossing the street and stepping into a conversation. You think about that. Just by doing that, you can help bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. All you have to do is go love your neighbor. Let's pray. 
Father, this morning, I'm grateful for the people that play the role of Philip in my life. I think about Miss Lenny, I think about Eddie, I think about so many people that helped shape me because they were willing to step into my world. And Father, I know just from what I see happening around this world, God, you have put us here to be able to spread your gospel. And so, Father, may we be a church that is about multiplication, but God, not for any other reason but to see your gospel proclaimed. So, Father, would you help us and show us exactly how we can do that and to whom we need to bring the gospel to. Father, we love you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Worship Online. If you're in our area, we want to invite you to come to physically connect to your local church. We would love to help you to live and love like Jesus alongside of others who are doing the same. If you're from outside of our area, can I challenge you to find a local church in your area that's going to preach the Bible and exalt Jesus? Smash the like button, subscribe, share with friends, and turn on notifications if you'd like to stay up to date with us. And thanks again for joining us.